You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for the woman going through the menopause journey. I'm your host, Zora Benamu, a gerontologist, certified sports nutrition, menopause, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan and the cookbook Eating for Longevity. And if you're a woman in perimenopause or postmenopause, check out the programs on hackmyage.com website to biohack and optimize your menopause experience because menopause is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So now please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. This is a really important point because it costs nothing, but makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for menopausal women to normalize this conversation about menopause and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. You can now watch all of our podcast interviews on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our guests bring slideshows, so it's really great to have. Every week there is a new video, so just search Hack My Age on YouTube.com or find the link on the Hack My Age website. Hello, age disruptors. Today I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience. All of you attending this recording now are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. And part of being in this exclusive club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they are recorded. And you can ask your own questions. If you want to be a part of this amazing community, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Hack My Age and sign up not only for these cool interviews, but so much more. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Institute of Bioidentical Medicine, which is the authority when it comes to understanding bioidentical hormones. And right now I am in the middle of taking their menopause method course, and I am so impressed. This is a self-paced course uh, designed by Dr. David Rosensweet, who's been treating women going through menopause for nearly three decades. I can highly recommend this program, particularly if you are a doctor or someone who's actually prescribing hormones to women for menopause. And if you're not, that's okay. Make an appointment at iobim.org to find out more about the program to see if you're a candidate for the menopause method. And ask for a discount with the code Zora, Z-O-R-A. And if you're just looking for a qualified doctor who's highly trained in menopause medicine, check out their sister site, Bright, B-R-I-T-E, dot live. Empower yourself with information and a doctor that you can trust because menopause is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So today we're going to talk about empowering yourself about menopause so you can ask your doctor the right questions when you're going through the menopause transition. Stephanie Shaw, she's going to help us get the right tools that she used with her clients that are effective and simple. Now, Stephanie, who is Stephanie? Stephanie is a health and wellness speaker and the host of the Hello Hot Flash podcast, which you can guess is a show like mine dedicated to a woman going through the menopause transition. And Stephanie loves to educate and has transformed her journey of overcoming a challenging two-year illness of her own into a thriving nutrition coaching and online menopause educator career. 
And Stephanie has two holistic nutrition certifications and a master's of science from Northeastern University. Yay. And she helps her clients manage their hormones, take control of their weight, get their energy back and slow down the aging process. So now without further ado, let's meet Stephanie Shaw. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yes, we had a great conversation on your podcast with me, and I'll have that in the show notes too, so people can hear even more because we talked a little bit about other things, but I wanted to talk, I was really interested in talking to you about how we can empower women uh, to, to talk to their doctors and what they can do to learn how to navigate this menopause transition with you because you got a lot of experience. But first, I want to start with learning about your personal health challenge that led you into the business of menopause. What happened? It's a funny thing. Like I have a date in my mind, March 23rd, 2017. That's like when everything hit the fan. As I think about it, it had been going on for quite a number of years. So I, one day I climbed up the stairs and 45 minutes later, I was still trying to recover because my heart was beating so fast, or I had had twitching in my eye or numbness in my hands and feet. So when I look back, things were happening. But on March 23rd, 2017 is when um, I, my body really crashed. I was in New Orleans for a business trip with just one coworker, a team member, and no family at all. And that night, I ended up in two different emergency rooms. And I honestly thought that I had had or was having a stroke. So numbness in again, in my hands and feet, my heart was beating rapidly, my jaw became numb, my left side started to um, like seize. And I remember we went back to the between emergency rooms, we went back to the hotel, and my body was just convulsing right in the middle of the lobby, people just kept walking by. So thank goodness that Sarah was with me on that trip, because she was taking care of me. But that started a path of me going to 18 different doctors, two world-renowned medical facilities, and spending over $20,000 out of pocket to uncover what was going on. And I think the, the hardest part for me was I, it never presented the same way. So it, it could present as a headache. It could present as neck and back shoulder pain. It could present as a gut issue. Um, I, um, I have a... Um, someone else that was on the podcast, and she has done some research with saying that there's 100 plus perimenopausal symptoms. So I, I'm like, let me kind of go down that list. I was like almost at 40. I'm like, what the heck? No wonder every doctor I went to kept sending me to another doctor because no one could uncover what was going on. So that was part of like the beginning of my journey. And it took two years in order for me to get my body back to normal. What? you're saying this was perimenopause. This is menopausal symptoms that you had. It wasn't some serious illness. I had, so I had um, so many MRIs, so many CAT scans, excessive amounts of blood work. Um, I, cardiologists, neurologists, who else? Orthopedic surgeons. I'd gone the complete gamut. Every single one came back to me with this little smirk, like, we can't find anything. Everything looks great. And I'm like, I just wanted to like shake them. Like I don't, I didn't want them to find anything. Um, tested for lupus and Addison's disease, Addison's disease. Again, I didn't want them to find anything, but I'm like, wait a minute, there has to be something going on. Um, even down to which I didn't realize until this year that this is a perimenopausal symptoms, phantom smells. So yes. I would walk around the house. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, 
stuff on? What's this stuff on? Or I was one of the, like, so you can have like, you can smell electricity, gas, but you can also smell sweet. And so I was one of the people who smelled like the maple syrup smell as well. And you, while you may think that that's a good, cute thing, it is so freaky. And it's, I don't, I can't under explain it, but right up in your nasal passages, it's just this intense sugar smell and it's not a good thing. So, so yeah, I had all every, again, close to 40 different perimenopausal symptoms, but again, because they were on sometimes and off sometimes, and then it would be weeks before I would have the rapid heartbeat again, or, you know, a couple of days before the twitching in the eye happened again, no doctor could really sync up what was going on. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit about how to advocate for yourself. So I'll tell more of that story, how I finally got a couple of doctors to actually sit down and talk about me, um, because I was determined to figure out what was going on in my body. And I will let you know, no one mentioned menopause. That was my next question. I can't believe no one thought, hey, let's test your hormones. You're about that age. <laughs> my gynecologist and I, I love her to death and I trust her. She's done, performed two surgeries on me. Uh, she is my age and everything. And I'm like, now that I sit back, I'm like, we never even had that conversation. And that wasn't a conversation that I was having in my home either. You know, I didn't grow up talking about any of this. So I did not align my changes with the changes in my hormones, which is again, why it took almost two years for me to recover. How old were you when this started? So it's 27. I was 48, 2017, 2017, I was 48. But uh, again, to be all to be honest with you, if I look back, it started before then. But the symptoms were much further apart. And when it happened in 2017, it, it physically sat me down on my butt as in by two, three o'clock in the afternoon, I would thank goodness I was the boss at that time, but I would have to leave work. And then I would basically sit on a chair for like, you know, six, seven hours until I went to bed, got back up, work, went to work and then came back and sat on the chair. There were a couple months where I couldn't drive. I would when I had to, had to drive, but the anxiety level was so intense, which again, I'm, I'm the type of person like anxiety. What, what, what is that? You know, suck it up and keep going. I'm like, please forgive me to every person I ever thought that about, because I know how real it is. So I couldn't drive for a while. I, um, it was my youngest son's senior year in high school and almost all his classes were done. And he had like two periods where he was just like office work. And so I would have to pull him out. I pulled him out a couple of times so he could drive, so he could come home, drive me to work or drive me different places because I just could not get around. One of the scariest, two of the scariest stories was I was, um, it's Mahoning Avenue, which you won't know, but in, in the town in which I live, where I was driving down the street, which is close to the, the university campus where I worked at that time. And I just froze in the middle of the street. So my husband had to come get me, physically pick me up out of the driver's side put me in the passenger side, drive my car to safety, go walk back and get his car. Uh, and then we had, I can't even remember how we figured out that I got home. I think we left my car in the parking lot. And then about a month later, I was driving on a route 82 and it's 65 miles per hour. I'm on the left side and I, I freeze. Like I cannot go any further. I stopped my car in the middle of the highway. Well, and at that time, Ohio had a huge, and still does, has a huge opioid crisis. So I had enough wherewith, and, and it, construction was going on. So I'm, I'm setting the whole stage. There was construction workers out everywhere. 
I'm stopping my car in the middle of a lane that you should be passing in. But I had enough wherewithal to think, oh, opioid crisis. They're going to think that I'm high. They're going to inject me with Narcan. So I like wrote this note. I stuck it on the steering wheel. Like, I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm not drugged. Please do not give me Narcan. And my <laughs> husband, again, he had to call his brother. His brother had to drive him to where I was at. And then he had to physically put me in the passenger side again and then drive me home. So this menopause crap really, really hit me hard, especially as a person who had not been sick or, um, again, didn't think that, you know, I would be anxious or didn't recognize the stress that was also debilitating that was going on in my body. That's unbelievable because I don't know you well enough, but you mentioned you're not the anxious type. It's not your character. You've never had anxiety attacks before. It's it's amazing how hard that can hit because we know that uh, if you have a tendency towards depression, for example, or anxiety, and that's your history, yeah, you're more likely to have these uh, during the perimenopause transition as a, as a symptom. It's, it's more likely, not that it will, but it's just more likely. And you're here, somebody who's not at all in that category, and it's hit you so hard. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and I bet you probably thought I'm going crazy. I've got some serious disease because you don't have that history. It's not your personality. It's not your character. So uh, I can be really, really scary. So I'm really glad you shared that story with us because it does, you know, can give us a clue for some women who maybe are dealing with the same thing. So how, how, okay, we do want to hear how you, in the end, what you did. Um, but how did this also lead you to uh, help you help other women dealing with with perimenopause? Yeah. So one, I think part of the anxiety came on because I couldn't get a solution. But I also during this time of trying to find a solution, I understood that there was a greater purpose behind me being sick. So instead of wallowing in the sickness, I would have these moments. Uh, I'm a, I believe in prayer. So I would have these moments like, okay, God, I just need to be mad for 60 seconds. Let me be really, really angry and scream and yell. And then I'll get over it and, and keep, you know, praying and uh, fasting and doing whatever I need to do. So I would like have these screaming, shouting moments. And I'm like, okay, I'm over it. Let me, let me figure this out. I, for some reason inside of me came up almost immediately that there is a reason that this is happening. So I've always wanted to support people. I've always wanted to help women. I've always wanted to do something related to food. I thought I would open a vegan restaurant, but I'm like, yeah, I don't want to work during the hours that people want to eat. So <laughs> that's not gonna, that's not going to happen. Uh, so I always, again, felt like there was this purpose around what was going on. So during this time of me being really sick, again, I was sitting down quite a bit. So I started to read and then I, I'm like, man, for like four years now, I keep bringing up this one nutrition and coaching certification. And I'm like, ah, I don't have time. Ah, I don't want to do it. So what I did was worked on that pain, trying to make it go towards a purpose. So even though I was sick during that time, I did go back and get the certifications. So that once I got the certifications, I started to heal my body and I started to understand how simple it was, I guess, is. I don't, I don't want to, you know, make it seem overly simple because it wasn't. But at the end, I just ate differently. And that's how I was able to heal my body. So when I found out how quote unquote simple it was, I understood that this is a message that more people need to hear. 
And in the back of my mind, I'm like, if more people did know about it, it wouldn't have taken me two years to get through this path. So what can I do next in order to help other women? Okay. I'm I'm a little confused. I just want to understand you call yourself sick. You called this an illness. Is it, is it really something that you found out or is this just the, the menopause transition? It's just the menopause transition, but I felt but I still coined it as sick. I felt sick during that time. So, you know, with the rapid heartbeat, with the hat migraines, I had the auras where I, you know, would like completely go black. Um, I had vertigo for a while during that time too. So I still say that I was sick, but it was the perimenopausal transition because even though it was technically like that hormone imbalance, it still took me out and caused me to have quote unquote medical type. Of, of problems. Yeah. Interesting. Now I find that fascinating because it's, it's not, I mean, menopause isn't an illness. I mean, there are people who say it's a disease and it's an illness and we need to treat it. Yes. It's when I understand why they're saying that, but it's not, it, it makes it so negative. And, and, you know, on the one hand, yes, we want to treat menopause, right? We want, don't want women to suffer, but at the same time, I don't want to scare women either and say, you're sick, you're yeah. broken. There's something wrong oh, no. with you. Yeah. And, um, and I get, I get why you're saying that. And it, cause it does feel like it, it certainly does. And you were looking for a solution. Right. So that, that, that transition period, it's not, um, you being again, as you said, sick, or there's something wrong with you. There is a change going on in your body during that change. It can show up as different things that will cause you to quote unquote, as in our society, coin them as being sick or being ill or having a symptom of. So while perimenopause is what was going on and my hormones were changing, perimenopause caused me to feel as if I was sick, caused me to feel as if, you know, I was having a heart attack when I was not, or caused me to feel as if I was having vision problems when I was not. So yeah, it was all, all part of that transition. And again, I don't, I'm like you, I don't want women to be afraid of it because my mom didn't have any of this. I underlying, which I did not recognize until I was like in the whole heat of it, because I quote unquote, never had stress or anxiety. I really did have stress, but I didn't recognize it as stress. I'm in my mind is like, you need to get something done. You just get it done. You keep moving. This situation comes up, you take care of it and you keep moving. Well, a lot of times as women, people in general, you keep doing that. And these layers start to build on your body. And you don't even realize that you're, you're packing things down so tightly that at some point that that tight packing is going to explode on you. So I, all of that, in addition, was going on for me. So that's why the symptoms and the sickness and the quote unquote illness came about with that perimenopausal hormonal change. Because like you said, for some reason, women, it's, you know, I have a hot flash when I drink too much wine or eat too much sugar. And I, then I kind of keep it moving. But for me, because there were other things going on, it increased the intensity of this period in my life. Just to take it to the other side, because also I don't want women to think lightly, oh, it's, you know, nothing we can do about it. It's just natural and it's a normal process. Yes. But because we lose our hormones or they're in decline or they get so low or unbalanced, it does set us up to have a higher risk of these diseases. 
So it, that shouldn't be ignored either. So it's it's not the menopause itself that's giving the, that is the disease. It's that could set you up. And because if you didn't take care of it, you you would really get sick. I mean, perhaps I don't know, but you have a higher chance. Probabilities are pretty high that because of the lack of hormones, you uh, or and or maybe the nutrition. I don't know what else you did that would set you up for maybe obesity and diabetes and heart disease and get a heart attack and a stroke and a osteoporosis and like who knows what. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. There's there's just that that link, right? There's that, that link that's, that sets us up. So I want, I want people to be aware of that too. And, and, and yes, you know, just all this stuff can feel like, yeah, you are so sick (laughs) if you don't know what's going on. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But, you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And... Most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. Let's talk about some of the obstacles and issues that women in menopause in this transition and in menopause have when they walk into that doctor's office with those first symptoms of menopause. Yeah. Like I what think- did you see? I bet too, you know? <laughs> yeah. So one of the biggest obstacles I see I think are um, that that list of 100 because menopause presents in so many different ways. So you go in and maybe week one, you're talking to your primary care physician about rapid heartbeat. And then week two, oh, no, I'm not having it. I'm having migraines. And then week three, it, it changes so frequently. And so I think because it can present in so many different ways, they may be sending you to different doctors and that connection never happens that this is your hormones being imbalanced. So I think that's a huge obstacle. And to overcome that obstacle, journaling, writing down exactly what's going on, what foods you're eating, what exercise, what stress is going on in your life, and then be a, being able to tell that complete story. Okay, my heart beats rapidly. Oh, every time that I eat this type of food or every time that I eat this sugar or every time this person is in my life kind of thing. So being able to tell that story um, helps you because it presents in so many ways. I think being female, 
in general becomes a part of the story as well. So the American Heart Association um, said that women wait 29% of the time longer than a man in ER in the ER when they come in presenting with heart-related symptoms. So automatically, we are often judged when we're walking in there as someone who may be complaining, who may um, um, just not be able to quote-unquote handle it like a man or or what have you. So that becomes an obstacle. There are also studies around middle-aged women who have chest pain or present with chest pain. And then oftentimes that's related to mental illness. So it's, it will, they will coin you as being anxious and so forth. So I think coming in as a woman is an obstacle a lot of times. <laughs> uh, and, yep. and then, you know, men, men showing up as stoic, like, oh, you know, and women showing up as quote unquote, always complaining. Well, I look at it as we honor our bodies and we recognize what's going on. We're more in tune, I guess I should say. I feel like we're more in tune to our bodies. So yeah, we may say that this hurts or um, we feel this way more often, but I think it's not because it's more than, I I feel like it's because we're just more in tune to what's going on. So those, those are the two biggest obstacles that I see when we go into the office. And one of the uh, other ones is oftentimes the doctors are not trained to think about menopause and or nutrition. So that does not become, I've heard so many times, oh, you're just getting a little older, ha ha ha. Well, yeah, yes, I am. But are you thinking through the process, the steps that happen to a woman as they're getting older? And how are you helping me support that? So the lack of of training around menopause and nutrition, I think is another huge obstacle for us um, when we're going through menopause, perimenopause. Yes. And I would add as a gerontologist, if you're older woman, you also don't get the same treatment because older adults, Mm -hmm. like unfortunately, um, doctors may often say, well, you're going to die anyways, (laughs) like, or you're too complicated, or we need to leave room for the younger people. And this is what happened, you know, with so many, so many with COVID and with so many things. So we, it's really unfortunate. And I think it needs to change because we are, um, getting the population is aging and and we need to pay attention to that slap onto that a minority. And that's even, you know, you get bumped even back to the end of the line and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the way I've, I've learned it. And it's just horrifying. So being a woman, being older, being handicapped, slap on a lesbian or transgender or whatever you want. And it, it just gets worse and worse. So uh, really, we need to advocate for ourselves. And and I think women who are going through this transition and, and like you approach the doctors and especially told, oh, everything's fine. We're being so gaslit. And then I notice also with older women in this age of the different generation, let's say in your seventies and eighties and up, those women are a bit more quiet. They don't want to rock the boat and maybe they're more stoic like a man. Maybe they have been trained like that, but they don't advocate for themselves and maybe not getting the right treatment either. So I think there are a lot of obstacles that, that women face, uh, in, in medicine and healthcare. And, and we really need to advocate for ourselves. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about, about what the things that, that we can do. What are your, so let's say, three tips on how a woman can advocate for herself and her menopause journey? Yeah, I want to jump up real quick before I do that on and so around advocacy. But I remember when my grandmother was in the hospital one time and they had not cleaned her properly, like around her feet area. There was stool on her feet. And I'm like, 
irate. And she's like, baby, don't say anything because I have to be here alone with them and they know what they're doing. And so she's a, a elderly African-American woman raised in the South. There's a level of respect because you're more educated. There's a level of fear because you don't know what's going to happen later. So you're exactly right as, as um, women age or or um, as you were saying, like sometimes women are more stoic or they are have that fear level around rocking the boat when it comes to their medical health care. And I'm trying to get my, my my mom out of that. But she's like, no, you just come with me. So I'm like, OK, I'm coming with you because we're not going to take that. That's one great solution. I think we, you and I discuss this also in your podcast is, is yeah, is, is if you are listening and you have a, a, an older parent, you know, men, men also deal with this problem too, but particularly women, take your mom, take your dad with you to the, or you go with them to the, their doctor's visits and you can advocate for themselves and sometimes showing them and showing that you're not rocking the boat and you're not causing problems. And hopefully the doctor is not going to get flustered if they're a good doctor uh, right. and they'll be patient and understanding. Um, you'll show them the way and eventually maybe they can do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So some of my advocacy tips are one, trust your body. So we talked about that a little bit. If you feel like something is off, trust your gut because you know your body better than anyone else. What did I say? I went to 18 different doctors across four different states, two world-renowned medical facilities, because I knew that there was something going on. And even though the test results came back normal, I'm like, this just is not my normal. So I had to keep pushing, keep fighting, keep finding different doctors who were willing to have those conversations with me. So, and it takes some work. But in order to advocate for yourself, I, I feel like you're worth it. So find someone who will actually listen to you and someone who understands where you are, where you're going. And if they don't understand, they're at least willing to help you move forward. So I had a physical therapist who was like, he, he was hilarious, but he's like, you're confusing me. You're this way one day, you're that way another day. I don't know what to do with you. But let me talk to one of your other doctors and see if we can put a plan together for you. So if, if you can't find someone who knows what's going on, at least find a doctor that respects you enough to help you navigate this. So that's the one thing. And then building your team, I think, is another way to advocate for yourself. So I fired a ton of doctors. So I went to more than the 18. The 18 are the ones I kind of stuck with for a minute. After figuring out what was going on in my body, I had to start working on building the team of people who could actually help me. So my chiropractor, naturopathic doctor, my gynecologist, and my physical therapist were my four like ride or dies. Like they, would, I had their cell phone numbers. I could text them. And I know that won't always happen in different situations. But again, after two years showing up all the time, you start to establish a relationship with people. So build a team of people who are going to support you. And if necessary, we would talk to one another. I mean, you might ask how to do that. So I walked in, like I started a, a really good rapport with the uh, gatekeeper, who's a person who schedules the calls with you. Like, it's not just like, hey, I need to schedule appointments. Hey, Sally, you know, how are the kids and blah, 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 blah. So sometimes you have to nurture those relationships. And then that gets you the appointments that you need that gets you more time FaceTime with your doctors as well. Um, keeping your own records is another way to advocate for yourself because you uh, once I, th I think that the doctor's when the doctors recognize that you're on it, they are on it, at least in my experience. So part of my um, recovery was to, I took a lot, a ton of different types of supplements. So um, 
uh, I was a, eating as a vegan at that time. So, you know, my bees were off. I, everything was off. But when I went to the doctor's office, if I would say, you know, I'm on XYZ supplement or taking ashwagandha or reishi mushrooms or turkey tail, they would not write that down. So me having my own records and seeing what they wrote down and what they didn't write down was super important because if I were ever to have taken any type of medications, you know, turkey tail mushroom and reishi mushroom interacts with certain type of medications. So keep your records. Even if you think, um, you know, I can't read this or I won't understand what I'm looking at. When you're asking for it, in my experience, that extra step of asking for it has made the doctor slow down and start to explain different things that I have. It's, it's, about, it's about that relationship building, about that rapport. So keep your records, make sure that you're, you're, they're writing down everything that you need and ask them for year over year. Like my primary just, she laughs at me now. She's like, you want last year's too, you know, or um, am I going to have to sit down longer with you kind of thing? Because she knows that I'm going to go over that. So those are the three things. Um, and then coming prepared. So um, having that, in, just like you would uh, interview an employee or whatever, look at this as an interview. So come prepared, have your notes of what conversations you want to have with that doctor. And again, that opens up that door so that they're more apt to work with you. I have one question about, I, I'm totally on board with you, especially when it comes to menopause and you get gaslit by your doctor and go find another one and, and, uh, and build your team. I, you know, I'm wondering, I don't have us insurance. I have international insurance. Is that, is that covered by insurance? And, and you mentioned you're paying a lot of stuff out of pockets. Like when, how much does somebody get to change and find their doctors? Uh, cause we have to talk to all different types of people out there, right? Yeah. So that, so that's not my area of expertise. So I'm not quite sure. And I know every single insurance policy is totally different. So mine's different than my parents and so forth. What at, on top of what was going on at that time, we didn't have medical insurance. And never in my entire life did I not have medical insurance. And there was this short window of time during the same exact time that we did not have medical insurance. So I was paying out of pocket. And then on top of that, I found that a lot of the Western doctors who later on, we did get our insurance back. But when um, a lot of the Western doctors were not providing the support that I needed personally at that time, so I still was paying out of pocket. So the insurance that we have now will pay for a chiropractor, but they will not pay for a naturopathic doctor. They won't pay for a functional medicine doctor and so forth. So in my mind, I thought, hmm, I could buy a new outfit. I could have cable. I could have a car. I could X, Y, Z, or I could have a healthy body. So I made adjustments in our budget. I just bought a brand new car actually when I got sick. And I'm like, okay, I have another car. Plus I have a brand new car. I'll just get rid of the brand new car and keep driving the car that I already have. So I did some mindset shifts when it came to finances as well, because the priority for me was my health. I will talk to so many women who say, I can't afford X, Y, Z, or I can't afford And their lifestyle does not equal, and, and I'm making a judgment. I'll just be completely honest. But from what I visually see, their lifestyle does not tell me that they couldn't afford to go to a chiropractor for 35 bucks or 100 bucks. Their lifestyle does not show that they could not um, necessarily take the time to go to a naturopath. So I'm, I'm saying all this to say, a lot of times when you're sick, if the insurance does not cover it, there's some hard decisions that you have to make. Maybe it is no Netflix for six months or what have you. Make some decisions that will get your body healthy. and then 
you can truly enjoy the new car, the Netflix, the clothes, the shoes, and so forth. So again, I don't know personally about the different levels of insurance or who covers what, but the more doctors you seek, the more the expense. And a lot of times the types of doctors that I found helped me most were the out-of-pocket doctors. I sold my house (laughs) to pay for my healthcare. Okay. You can go to some extremes to have a certain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so while I'm saying this, I'm like, I'm feeling bad. I shouldn't say it, but I'm so happy you just said that because when it gets down to it, like, don't you just want to be healthy? And there's no judgment being passed. Everyone has um, a different lifestyle. Everyone has a different partner who may not buy into the selling the car or selling the house or what have you. But when it came down to it, I'm kidding you not all cable cut off, like everything that I thought was extra. And then all of a sudden I had the $20,000, extra $20,000 a year when I started thinking about insurance or car note or cable and so forth. I'm like, oh, there's some money right there. Not eating out because cooking at home is better for you anyway. So do you know what I mean? So it, it will, you'll be able to, you'll be able to find the dollars when, if you make some lifestyle adjustment. And I always, I always recommend people to start now, if not, you know, we should have started yesterday in that little kitty of money of having some savings for that extra health care, because, you know, when you need it, you really find out insurance doesn't pay for it. You're like, Oh, I have insurance, I'm fine, or, you know, whatever it is. But then when you need to cash in, oops, sorry, we don't cover that. So really, I want people to start saving. If they're not saving now already, make an extra savings for that healthcare, because as we get older, we may need it. Hopefully we won't, but you may need it. Like you mentioned uh, earlier, it's to buy the, the healthy food or invest in a good supplement or invest in prevention, right? I'd, I'd rather be taking a bunch of supplements than a, b- a bunch of medication later on. So Please, uh, yeah, invest in your health. And, and if you got to save some money right now, please do it. And we've got, I don't know, if you're in your 50s, you got 30 years to save. Imagine how much you know, money that could be if you put away, I don't know, a dollar a day or $10 a day or 50, whatever it is, it's, it should be done. So um, my yeah. sister um, is going through uh, chemo right now and it's $10,000. I I'm, I'm think I'm quoting that right. It might be 15,000. 10 is the minimum per treatment. And she has insurance. It's not, it's like, it sets you up to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, yeah. You save. you're exactly right. Start saving now, putting away some money and, and, or it's, well, save, but also invest in healthy foods, invest in not the 99 cent supplements at the corner drugstore, but into some really solid uh, supplements to help, help your body stay healthy. So yes, there we go. Some really great tips. Advocate for yourself. Don't take no for an answer. And I'm really glad that you never gave up, right? You just said, I'm going to find the solution, whatever this is. And you eventually found it, right? Tell, tell us in the end how you did find it. Is it did, because you found this physio who helped set you on a track and build a team? Or was there another solution that you found? So I found, um, again, I said across four states. So I live in Ohio very, very good friend of mine knew of a chiropractor who's also a naturopath in Oklahoma, like 2000 miles away. And he did one urine test, like he shipped me the test, did one urine test, completely changed everything. So it, he had me take this list, you know, I checked off this list, it was like 88 questions. 
and here I like basically yes to every single question. Are you, um, I can't even remember them right now, but they were all the symptoms that I was having. So he took the urine test and he came back with this two pager. Okay. You eat this, don't eat that. I'm like, okay. And that's basically all that it was. I had to do more in depth research about things that I could eat and so forth. But right at that point, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. So it's called a Zyto test. It was a urine test. And he found that I was allergic to certain foods like pineapples and um, tropical foods, some, some tropical fruits rather, um, certain types of beans, because again, I was eating as a vegan that time. So I was eating, I was trying to find the weirdest beans ever because I was, you know, bored with eating black beans and rice all the time. So there was just certain foods that were causing my body to be off. So on top of the hormonal symptoms, I was also not um, eating for my body. After he, you know, gave me that list, I'm like, oh, wait, when I do eat pineapples, I will get a hot flash. Or if I do eat that type of bean, I do have gut issues. Or it feels like my hormones or I get more anxious when I am eating this type of food. It was so amazing what that one test did for me. And that's when that was really helped me catapult to that second nutrition certification. I'm like, oh, I need to learn more. I need to understand more about what's going on. So once he gave me that, it took, I I keep guessing the amount, I'm going to say six to nine months in order for my body to start to heal. So I started eating differently. I started meditating, doing yoga, doing things for my mindset. I started having big girl conversations. I understood where the stress was coming from. I had, I cut a couple of people out of my life. Um, I limited space in my life with a couple people. And I just told people who I wanted to stick around that if you don't change, then there will be a change. So like all of this started to come together. And in six to nine months, no more headaches, no more auras. My stress level was different. I didn't have anxiety. And so it felt like the, the nutrition and the exercise and the getting my cortisol levels in line helped with my hormones, in turn, it was starting to help my perimenopausal symptoms. So there was a there was tons of stuff going on, including the perimenopause. But Dr. Robbins was able to really, really help me move past that. Oh, that's amazing. I thought you were going to say you took hormone therapy. (laughs) No. And so that's, so I am, I, I have worked with someone who we did all the lifestyle things. And in the end, she still needed hormone therapy, it just was not working for her. And she was one of the clients that I knew was really, really doing it doing the work. Do you know what I mean? I could, I could physically see it. I could see the stress level changes, everything, but she still needed hormone therapy. In that case, I think that that was perfectly fine. It worked and is working for her. I did not, I took maybe two, three Tylenols in that whole three years, two years. I was determined not to take any medicine at all. And so I was able to, I mean, I got super serious about lifestyle changes. You know how you like, oh, and take the weekends off. No, I did every single step, which can be hard to do, but that's how sick I was. I was that determined. And when I implemented all of the the different lifestyle changes, like meditating at a certain hour, taking yoga classes, um, taking my Pilates classes, eating exactly what I was supposed to eat, I was able to overcome all of my symptoms. It's really interesting. It's really interesting to hear because I'm a big fan. I'm very pro bioidentical hormones. And I think it's it's the research so far is showing some pretty interesting things. And of course, anything can change. But uh, I always say still that you can't out hormone a bad diet and lifestyle. So I really want women to even if they are considering hormones to please dial in. 
And, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That you just managed to get rid of all of these symptoms simply with diet and lifestyle changes. I'm wondering how was your diet before you said you did vegan and, and what was your lifestyle before? Of course you were stressed and you managed started doing that, but, but vegan diets can be very healthy, but, or, I mean, there's that junk food, vegan diet, or there's just, you know, you're eating the whole foods, vegan diet. Is there anything, what was the, yeah. What was your life and diet look like before that? Yeah. So I was life and diet, as long as I was, was skinny, <laughs> I'm great. You know, I'm thin, my body's still in shape, <laughs> but I was not eating. So I had to switch from vegan to vegetarian um, because I wasn't getting enough nutrients. I always talk to people about that. Like you can't just be a vegan. You have to really concentrate on, focus on and be aware of your protein, carbohydrate, fat intake, make sure you're getting your bees and so forth. So I was not doing the vegan diet the proper way. So I had to go to being a vegetarian. Um, and I think that that was part that probably contributed to not me not um, um, to the, the increase in symptoms during perimenopause. I will I, I'll own that. Um, but other than that, I ate I ate pretty good, you know, junk food every once in a while. Um, I have a sweet addiction that I'm still in recovery around. <laughs> so <laughs> recovery, I think yeah. that, you know, I'm like for real recovery, um, trying to go through recovery. But um, I think that added to it as well. So prior to, you know, sweets and then not getting all the nutrients I needed by being vegan. And then my exercise habits were poor. So like if I had somewhere to go and I needed a little tone two months before, I would do what I need to do, get toned, wear my dress and keep moving. And then I walked all the time, but I wasn't doing any strength training. I wasn't doing anything else to really support my body. And I think all of that caught up with me as well. Like we assume because we're still in our 40s, 54 now, but I was in my 40s then. We assume because we're in our 40s that we still, you know, we got 10, 15 more years. I think it's really important that women in their 20s hear this message. So you never go through anything that I went through. Um, I think it's important that girls in their teens who are, you know, exercising sometimes, but eating three pizzas on the weekend, that they hear this message too. It's about, I am such a huge advocate of lifestyle changes, not just the eating and the exercising, but what you're putting on your skin as well, you know, the makeup and the different creams and so forth with all the different chemicals. I feel like I, I had not set myself up in a way that supported me navigating perimenopause healthy. I had done some things and not done some things as far as lifestyle was uh, uh, involved um, that made my path a lot more difficult. And I now I know that. And now that's why I want to advocate for it. That's why I'm always like, to family members, I'm like, don't eat that to clients. I'm like, well, you may want to change the way (laughs) that you're eating or exercising. You know, I have a different tone in my voice, but I'm, I'm, I so recognize that how how sitting on that couch for almost two years, how that defeats you emotionally and physically. And I don't want that for anyone else. And if you can do something as as easy as changing the way that you eat and that you move, I say that that's something that you really, really need to, to, to hone into. Hey, 
I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. It's great that you found what works for you and, and, and everybody's so different, right? So they are. It they is, are. Is, I'm sure you're coaching people and going, wow, that's diet's working for them. <laughs> like, wow, well, interesting. And that one, the same diet, not at all. And, and, and I find interesting too, some, some women, when you, I mean, when you talk about vegetarian, some people wouldn't be able to tolerate grains and sugar and alcohol and not that you drink that, but um, dairy, eggs, you know, which are all very vegetarian. It just shows you everybody is so different. And yeah, uh, yeah. those can be triggers for some people in terms of the symptoms that you have. So it sounds like the symptoms you had were partly menopause and partly just intolerances, right? They were, you're, you're exactly right. So vegetarian for me just means vegan with eggs, basically, because I can't. <laughs> because and dairy, I still, yeah, right? well, I don't. So, well, if I do, I do like plant-based dairy. I don't okay, do. Yeah, I so can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah, yes. I even as a child, like not. And that's another thing I, I now that I am more aware, I think, oh, even as a child, I didn't really like milk in my cereal. And it would make my quote unquote tummy hurt kind of thing. Like not not recognizing what is going on in your body, um, I think was part of it as well. Even though I had that gut intuition, I knew there was something going on, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't listening. I was not listening to my body. One thing you mentioned earlier, I think we need to stress as well as to, to the younger people listening to this, or if you have daughters who are in their twenties and thirties, I'm doing the training, uh, the menopause method training with the Institute of Bioidentical Medicine. And I learned, and it's fascinating, that our progesterone takes a precipitous decline in our 30s. In our 30s, very strong, very fast, very hard, much, much faster than the estrogen that we're losing in our 40s. And so women can have these perimenopausal symptoms in their 30s without knowing it. And a little bit of progesterone, perhaps maybe what, you know, there's a lot of other reasons women may be not feeling well, but, but they're this, this program doing is, is a training for doctors. And so they're trying to give them an outlook, say, Hey, you may want to ask your clients to test their progesterone <laughs> and see if they're in their thirties. I mean, we're way, be, you know, menopause is like way far away for these women, but it's an imbalance of hormones. And that's what perimenopause is, is when your hormones are, are going in, in, out of balance. But of course we have the loss as well, but that can happen in your thirties. And one other thing that, that I'm thinking, you know, here you are, and I am trying to advocate for women, uh, to, to help uh, through, for, through menopause and help them become more empowered. And, and it kind of annoys me that the older generation didn't really warn us about this. Like, look at you, like, why, why didn't the women around you tell you what's going to happen? I mean, maybe they don't know. Maybe they didn't, everything was fine. I don't want to blame them, but there are plenty of women out there who didn't tell us. And like, why aren't they saying things? And so what I hope that you and I are doing is having this voice, giving this voice, at least telling these women, it, maybe it's perimenopause. I'm not that, you know, that's the solution to everything, but, but I do hope that we get this voice out. I'm just kind of annoyed with those older women are not telling us anything. <laughs> yeah. But you, you think, 
so I would <laughs> I was interviewing someone and we were talking about um, vaginal odor. I'm like, I would have never said the V word in public. And my my mom hears this episode, she's gonna be like, What are you doing? What are you talking about? This is so so I think <laughs> that we at least my family, at least um, the people that I know in my community, it was not a conversation to have because that's a conversation that you have in the privacy of your own home, in the privacy of your bedroom. You don't publicly talk about menopause and sexual health or anything. Oh my gosh, you don't talk about your period. Don't let a boy touch you. That's your sex ed talk (laughs) kind of thing. So, So I think it, I am so encouraged by women our age who, who are having a voice and even more encouraged by women, my daughter's in-law age, who are, this is everyday normal conversation for them. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's getting better. I think it's just, um, historically, it was taboo. It was something that you shouldn't talk about. It was something that was very, very private. Not recognizing that the more conversations you have, the better it can be for that next generation. So I think that we're waking up, waking up to that and we're going to help the next generation. So I have to tell you a couple of stories that, that, that have been happening. You know, I'm right now in Hanoi and Vietnam and I've been doing reels, very interesting one minute reels about women going through menopause all around the world and older women who've already gone through it. And, and I like to ask them, you know, how the journey is. And there was, there was this one one woman, she was actually 37. So I was trying to get a younger perspective. I said, what, what about your mom? Do you, you know, what do you think of menopause? What do you know about menopause? And your mom, and she said, you know, when my mom went through menopause or perimenopause, let's say she was with all these symptoms and, but she lost her period. And so she went to the doctor because she thought she was pregnant and she didn't even think about menopause. I mean, of course she's, she's in perimenopause. She's in her forties, maybe late late forties right. <laughs> is going to the doctor thinks she's going to have a baby until the doctor says you're, you're not pregnant. And, and you can imagine the stress. This woman had a lot of stress. She did not want to have a baby at that time. So oh, it was very stressful. I've met another woman who said she thought like you, like she had some horrible disease and she thought she was dying. And it's because nobody warned her about perimenopause. Nobody told her about these symptoms. And yeah, so you, you can, I mean, we laugh about it now, but you can imagine the stress that these women actually had during that moment. They think they're pregnant and their life's going to change or they think they're going to die. And, and it's really sad. So I, I really hope that we can change the conversation, you know, open the conversation and change these, these perceptions of men- menopause as well as expectations of what's going to happen in our lives in this change, right? Yeah, yeah. And, for, and I thank you for your podcast and for the work that you're doing as well. Um, because the more we have this com- these conversations, as you said, the better things will be for our next generation. So I'm going to have to let you go, but uh, I want to share a little bit more about you. You've got a free a freebie, a hormone quiz on your website, hellohotflash.com. You got some Mastering Menopause course, and you anyone can find you on your website, hot, hellohotflash.com. And you're also on Instagram and you're on Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn. I have all of the links in the show notes. And are there, is there anything else that, any other, other area that people can find you or you want to share where they, where they can find you? Um, YouTube and TikTok as well. So those are two new vehicles for us. Excellent. So before I let you go, do you have any last words for women going through the menopause transition? 
Well, I would just say, hang on in there, girl. It, it will get better. <laughs> and to, and tell, make sure that you're sharing whatever you learned today or whatever you've learned on heck, my age. Um, make sure that you're sharing that with the next generation. I think that's the best advice for everyone. Oh, fantastic. And even boys and men. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I do. My, my kids know way too much, probably. But yeah, <laughs> share it with my three adult boys. They know because just real quick that that helps them in their marriage and in their relationships to understand what is going on. Um, and Yes, yes, you're right. Share, share with, share with the men in your life. <laughs> I was going to go into a longer story, but we're ending now. So yeah, just do that. <laughs> All righty. Well, I hope to have you on again. And I hope you have a great day. And I will see everyone else then the next time. Take care. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.